Latin. In excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. Let's pray that that would be true of uh, everything that happens from this moment on in the service through the proclamation of God's word. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd be glorified this morning or this evening, that you'd be glorified in our time together, glorified in the preaching of your word, glorified on the proclamation of it, glorified in the way that it impacts our hearts and our minds. We pray that our singing would be of glory to you, that uh, the busyness of the holiday, the commercialization of it won't steal and rob your glory on our hearts, but that we would acknowledge that you alone deserve that glory. Father, we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Well, we made it. Christmas Eve. Many of us, we just need to take a deep breath in, deep breath out. You've been running around since Thanksgiving. We've been shopping. We had Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. You've gone to shopping malls. You've wrestled with traffic. You've gone in debt. All the buy presents for people that you then wrapped and put in bows may look all pretty. You put under the tree that you decorated in your house. You put up decorations inside and outside. And there's things here that you've accumulated for over 40 years. Everything comes out at Christmas from storage. And you put it all up with care. And you stockings by the chimney and everything. And then we get closer to Christmas. Now you've got to cook and you've got to bake. And there's Christmas cookies. And you've got to do Christmas cards. And, and there's all this stuff that you run around from here to there. And you just do it, and you do, and you do, and you do. And then Christmas comes, and it's gone, right? It's fleeting. You spend a month preparing, and within minutes, the wrapping paper's all over the floor. Kids are exhausted. You're exhausted. The, uh, the meals have all been eaten. And then what? We go back to work the next day and look forward 365 days to the next Christmas. And we just want to take some time to pause during this busy season, because there's a message that's supposed to be proclaimed at Christmas. A message that is so easily missed in the commercialization that we've made Christmas into, the busyness of the holiday, the, the, the demand for stuff, that we miss the message that's being proclaimed. And so we want to pause, we want to look at that message very carefully today from the book of First John. And so if you have a phone, you can uh, just look up 1 John chapter 1, uh, and, and we're going to walk through the first uh, 10 verses of chapter 1 and the first two verses of chapter 2, and we're going to see this message that we need to pause and reflect on. Because this message is, is behind the meaning of Christmas, this message is behind the meaning of life, and this message changes everything. And so we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The author, John, writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And so John is saying that there is something that I witnessed, that I experienced, that, that came, uh, that I saw with my, sen uh, my eyes, I heard, I looked upon, I gazed, and I touched. All my senses were involved in, in something that happened in human history. John's saying that this isn't uh, hearsay, this isn't something that came down from somebody else, this is something that he experienced himself. Not only he himself experienced, but the, the language is plural. We have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon, and we have touched with 
our hands. Implying that there's multiple people that have experienced this. This isn't just John uh, went away and came back with a, a strange revelation or a vision. He's saying that a group of people, a large amount of people, have witnessed something. And he gives us a clue of what he witnessed in, in, in the same verse. He says, that which was from the beginning concerning the word of life. He's saying what we have seen was from the beginning. It was from the beginning. The beginning of what? The language of beginning calls back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where uh, if you know it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning, before anything existed, God was. And then in a moment in time, God stepped into creation and he created everything that exists. John also has a gospel where he records about the life of Jesus and he begins by saying, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And so this Word of life that John is is talking about in verse 1 was there at the beginning. And so this implies that Uh, It's eternal. It's uh, something that has been from eternity past that he has found a way way to witness and experience with his sentence, with his senses. This means that it didn't just, uh, uh, that that, that the things he experienced, which we're going to see is Jesus, didn't come to exist just at Christmas. When we sing about the baby being born in the manger, it wasn't that God created a baby in that moment and then said, okay, you're going to be God. It existed from eternity past and it had friendship and relationship within the triune God. And, and then in a moment in history, became visible and manifest. And that's what he gets to in verse 2. He says the life was made manifest. It was made visible. It took on humanity. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and it was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so he says that what I experienced was from eternity past made manifest, made visible. And and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. God becoming visible, taking on human form, being born as a a child. And many of us, we we expect a Christmas Eve sermon to focus on on the baby, and we just want to talk about the baby, and we don't want to talk about what comes after that. We don't want to talk about uh, what's to come. But but there is a message that needs to be proclaimed when we talk about the incarnation or the birth of Jesus Christ. John lays all this out. He says, I've experienced it. I have seen it. And the reason I'm writing is because I need to proclaim something to you about it. I need to testify to you about it. And the thing I need to proclaim, the thing I need to testify, is so that you may have fellowship. You may have fellowship with us, the, the, with John and with his, uh, the churches that he's writing to, and have fellowship, more importantly, with the Father and with Jesus Christ. And what this message is saying is that there are those who do not have fellowship. Right? If, if John is saying that I'm writing this so that you may have fellowship, the implication is, is that people do not have fellowship. 
in the uh, incarnation, the manifesting, the, the, the uh, taking on flesh has something to do with that fellowship. Something is separating us. There's, there's a break of fellowship, a fellowship that was maybe never even there that needs to and can be restored based on what John has seen and what he's experienced. And so he's going to lay that out for us. He's going to explain in the next few verses why we lack that fellowship, what's missing, what causes that. And he's going to give us the solution to it at the end of his gospel or the end of his writing. But before he gets to the solution, he wants to make sure that we understand what is going on, why we do not have fellowship. And to begin with, he comes into verse 5 and says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The message that he wants to proclaim is about the character of God. God is light. There is no darkness in God. And this is a a powerful image. And and we live in a culture that that is so bright. Even at night, you walk around, you can't even see the stars. We have lights here. We have lights out there. You have lights on your cars. And and, and this is in a culture where there wouldn't be lights everywhere. The darkness was dangerous. The darkness was scary. And and the darkness still is. You walk around a dark neighborhood at night, you're going to be more fearful than if it was bright out. Because we know that, that light represents goodness and, and darkness represents bad. And throughout Scripture, that metaphor is played out over and over and over again that God is light, that light represents holiness and purity and perfection, that God is the ultimate source of hope and light and purity and perfection. And so much that there's no darkness in God at all. There's no impurity. There's no imperfection. There's nothing that that makes God uh, not holy, not perfect in everything that he does. And so John begins his message with God. If you don't understand who God is, you're not going to understand the problem and why we don't have fellowship. We don't have fellowship because God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. The idea he's going to play out in the next few verses is that we are not light. We are darkness. And therefore, we cannot have fellowship with God who is light because we are darkness. We see that in verses 6 through 10. He says, If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so he explains here why people don't have fellowship. He doesn't hold anything back. John holds nothing back. He makes no exceptions. He says that you are a sinner. If you say you do not sin, you lie and the truth is not in you. He says something that effect three times. In verse 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If you say that you have fellowship with God, that, that, that 
Uh, when I said there's a, a barrier between you and God that's broken fellowship, and you say, no, I have fellowship with God, and I ask how, and you say, well, I go to church on Sundays, I do good things. That's not really what he's getting at. This is the guy who says that I follow God, or I'm in fellowship with God, but then in, in secret, in, in his real life, he does nothing that resembles Christ-like or God-like behavior. He walks in darkness. He doesn't acknowledge that he has sin. He doesn't acknowledge the problem of sin. He just walks in darkness thinking that he's in fellowship with God. And John holds nothing back and says, we lie if we say that. And we do not practice the truth. He says it again in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have never sinned or, or that we don't have sin, that at, at currently maybe I did sin in the past, but I found a way to overcome my sin. I'm doing good things. I'm giving to charity. I'm going to church that I don't sin anymore. I used to, but not anymore. John says you, makes you a deceiver of yourself, and the truth is not in you. Verse 10, he goes back and says, if we say we have not sinned, not just that you haven't, you've given up sin, you it's been a while since you sinned. You would say you've never sinned. We make him a liar. We make God a liar. And his word is not in us. And so John defines sin later on in his uh, letter, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. He says that sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, breaking God's law. Anything where in, in Scripture God says do this or don't do that. And we do the opposite. We break that law. We sin against God. And to say that we do not sin, John holds nothing back and says, you're a liar. Bet you didn't think you were going to come to church and hear that. It's supposed to be a happy Christmas Eve service about a baby in a manger. The pastor's calling you all liars if you say you have not sinned. John holds nothing back. But you see that there are people who are in fellowship. And so you already have to question What's the difference between the two? If there are people who are in fellowship, then something must have happened to put them there. In verse 6, 8, and 10, he says this is why people aren't in fellowship, because they sin. In verse 7 and 9, he explains the people who are in fellowship. Verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so those who walk in the light have fellowship with one another and by extension with God the Father and Jesus Christ. In verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so those who confess their sins, they don't hide them, they don't deny them, but confess them are the ones who are in the fellowship. And so when it comes to sin, we have two options. This rebellion against God, we can confess our sin or we can conceal our sin. We can expose our sin or we can hide our sin. If you remember the, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day you eat it, you will die. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, you're not going to die. You're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. And so they, they looked at the fruit, and it looked appealing to them, and they desired it, and they took it, and they tasted it. They sinned. They uh, rebelled against God's law. 
And the first thing they did is they realized they were naked and they felt extreme shame, so they tried to cover up their sin. They made leaves out of the, out of the, leaf, out of the trees to, to cover themselves, and then they hid behind those trees. God comes into the garden and asks where they are, and, and they then pop out and they accuse each other. Right? This person made me do it. That person made me do it. They don't confess their sin. Each one of us is like that. We don't want to expose our sin. We don't want to confess our sin, so we hide it. We deny it. And John says, that makes you a liar, and the truth is not in you. And by extension, you do not have fellowship. And so the message of, of Christmas, the proclamation that John is, is exposing here is that we want you to have fellowship. It would make our joy complete for you to have fellowship. And so he's got to give us the answer. How then do we have fellowship? He gives us a hint in verse 9 that, that our sins can be cleansed. They can be removed all our unrighteousness can be taken away. And he, he, he gives us the big answer in verse 7 that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So how does that work? How does that work? And in verse 9 he says that if, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful and just. God is, is perfect as we see in God is light and which means that God is perfect in his justice. God is perfect in being able to forgive sins. Can you imagine if uh, there's a courtroom situation? Let's say it's national news. Everybody is watching this court show. Uh, not show, it's a real-life news program. And, and there's a man there who is guilty of an extreme crime. Let's say, let's say terrorism against the United States, and we're all tuned in to see what's going to happen. And there's video of the guy who did it, and, and there is uh, eyewitness testimony of the person who did it, and he's standing before the judge. And the judge asks this guy, did you do it? The guy says, yeah, I did it, I confess. And the judge says, okay, I forgive you, you're free to go. There would be outrage all right, outrage across the entire country would be protests. Things would burn to the ground. People would be incredibly angry. We get mad at what we see as injustice or perceived as injustice. And God is saying that he is perfectly just to forgive our sins. How can God be just in that? We, 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 we in our minds cannot comprehend that there can be both mercy, the cleansing of sins, and justice, the consequence of sins. In our minds, it's got to be one way or the other. Either God is just and we deserve the penalty of our sins, or God is merciful and he forgives our sins. But to say that God is just and forgiving our sins sounds like a contradiction. Unless we get to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2. He says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. In verse 2, John uses this word propitiation. 
That's a big word, a, a giant word, a theological word, a word that has little place in our society because it, it, it means the, the taking away of wrath, the, the appeasing of wrath. The, 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 the idea is that there is a, a punishment for sin, a consequence for it, and that consequence was appeased. It was taken away by Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus our propitiation, the one who takes the, the punishment for our sins, he's our advocate with the Father. And if we go back to our, our courtroom idea, we're standing guilty. We're the ones who've committed the crime. And there's ample evidence to prove our faults, our, our, our sins. There's no denying the fact that we are guilty. And we're standing before a judge who knows we're guilty. And we have to give an account. There's a, a punishment for sin, and we have an accuser, a prosecutor, who, who comes before the throne day and night. And Revelation 12 says that Satan comes and he accuses us night and day before God the Father. As the imagery is that you stand before God the Father, the righteous judge, the one who wrote the law that you're guilty of breaking, and Satan is saying, look, right now, Mark is breaking it. How ridiculous. He's, he's doing it right now. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Our defense attorney comes into battle for us, and what's interesting is our defense attorney knows we're guilty. He's not going to argue that, that, no, Mark didn't do it. Mark's not sinning right now. He's going to say, yeah, ridiculous, he's sinning. But he's confessed that. I've taken the punishment for that, the wrath of, of God that was on him. I took that on the cross by my blood. I was the propitiation for that sin. And so our accuser has no case against us, and, and, and the judge throws out the case because Christ has taken the punishment for that. And so John has, has laid out this beautiful imagery here of this message he wants you to hear. The message is, is, is there is a fellowship. Are you part of the fellowship or are you not part of the fellowship? He starts out with the character of God, that this is who God is, and you match yourself against who he is. And when you do that, you're in one of two camps. You're in a camp that, that denies your sin and hides your sin and covers your sin. Or you're in a camp that confesses your sin. And for those who confess their sins, there is a, a cleansing of that sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, that, that he is an advocate and propitiation for that sin. And so they're not in the fellowship because of their good works. They're not in the fellowship because they tried harder than those who didn't. They're not in the fellowship because they're better people than those who aren't. They're in the fellowship because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, took their sin upon himself, paid the penalty for it, and cleanses them from that sin. And those who are not in the fellowship are the ones who deny their sin. They don't confess their sin. And if we follow the logic of John throughout this passage, that, that if, if you're in the fellowship, you have an advocate. Well, if you're not in the fellowship, that advocate is not there. You stand before the throne of God accused of a crime that you're incredibly guilty of, and instead of your advocate, Jesus is your prosecutor executioner for that sin. Not the propitiation for your sin, 
you're going to take the wrath of your sin. And so the message of Christmas is not, look how cute the baby is in the manger. The message of Christmas is far from commercialization. The message of Christmas is not uh, try harder than you did last year. The message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came to die. And I, I love the way that the stage was decorated this year. The, the transition straight from the manger to the cross. We celebrate the birth of Christ to look forward to the death of Christ. So I don't know what you expected when you uh, came to church this evening. Uh, usually there's songs that are going to be sung. There's going to be candles that are lit. Uh, maybe that's the only thing that brought you here was fire. But <clears throat> there's more to Christmas than the decorations, the festivities, the traditions. Those things are great, but in and of itself, they distract from the meaning of Christmas. And so pause the season Take a deep breath and ask yourself the question, are you in the fellowship or are you not in the fellowship? John says, I reflected on the birth and there's a message to be proclaimed. Are you in or are you out? And that's the question that we're going to leave you with tonight. I'm going to pray as you wrestle with that through this year. Heavenly Father,